message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruick. Good morning. Hey, how are we? Good? Good? All right, grab your Bible. We're going to be eventually in uh, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. So just go ahead and find that and, uh, and save your place there. We'll be there in just a moment. Uh, it's good to be here. I've been out for a few weeks uh, doing a little bit of, of duty for Uncle Sam. And I appreciate your prayers for me and your prayers for Kimberly, who's not been feeling well, still not, still not quite feeling well. So I would appreciate your continued prayers for her especially. But uh, I'm home for the weekend. I've got two more days to go back and do this uh, week, and then I'll be done with, with this bit of my training. But uh, it's been two years now. Uh, just about two years, time flies, that I've been doing the military thing, and I appreciate your support. Um, there, there are things that I've come over the last two years. I grew up in a military home, you might say. Some of you grew up in Christian homes. I grew up in a Sergeant Ruiz home. Amen? Can I get an amen from over here? Amen. Um, but, you know, not until, um, not until I was actually in the military myself did I see some of the things that, uh, that I had hints of. Now I've seen some of them firsthand. So in two years, uh, I guess the easiest way to say it is I've come to appreciate some things about the military that I didn't fully appreciate before because I've, because I've been able to see them firsthand and experience some of these things firsthand. Now let me just go ahead and say at the beginning of this message that I get it, right? Our military is part of our government at large, and, and there's some jacked up stuff about our government at large, right? Okay, so we can, we can just agree to that. And then some of you might be thinking, well, we're going to do this whole thing, and he's going to give us this whole... You know, uh, go ahead and put my slide up there. What the church can learn from the military. That's where we're going today. And, uh, you know, Pastor, where are you going with this? I mean, you know, even you as a chaplain, right? I mean, isn't, isn't it kind of messed up in the military with you as a chaplain? Um, let me just say this at the outset, uh, because some of you have asked me, you know, how is it being a chaplain in the military? And, you know, you can't, you can't pray in Jesus' name and those sort of things. And uh, you, you've heard some of these things via the media and let me just say, because this isn't the sermon, but I might as well put it here at the beginning because I don't want you distracted by, you know, the lingering question in your head. Um, the answer is no. I, I've not been told not to pray in Jesus' name. Uh, in fact, just the opposite, okay? So let me just, let me just caution you. Uh, some of the media out there, even the Christian media, unfortunately, take some things that come out in the military and things that maybe one commander or one general or one sergeant might say, and they get blown out of proportion and we as Christians, we like to grab hold of things and make them bigger than they need to be, right? And we, we'll boycott Disney World for something they do. And, you know, uh, we'll boycott Chick-fil-A if they quit frying chicken, basically, right? We just, we just do that sort of thing. So let me, just, let me just, in a very short, tell you how it works as a chaplain in the military. And I'll just pick on that one thing because it seems to be the most public about we cannot pray in Jesus' name. Here's how a military chaplain works. The government does not make chaplains. Right? They're not in the religion business. And so they can't, they can't build chaplains like they can build marines and sailors and guardsmen, etc. Okay? So the way they get chaplains is they go to outside agencies and they say, tell us who's qualified to be a chaplain in the military. And then we'll teach them how to be a military officer. And then you say they're a good chaplain and we'll say they're a good officer. And then we'll make them a military officer slash chaplain and we'll put them to work. 
but we don't know what a good religious leader looks like, and so we need to trust you to tell us what a good religious leader looks like. And so now the Department of Defense makes this list of qualified, authorized religious organizations that can recommend to them who a good religious leader might be. And so there's, a, there's this, really it's a short list of qualified, verified religious organizations that the government trusts because of the investigation they've done to their history, their background, et cetera. They're legitimate in their fields at least. Whether you would agree with them or not, that's of little consequence. But, but this denomination over here, they're in their own right uh, able to say that this guy is sufficient to represent us as a denomination, whether they be Lutheran, Jewish, Catholic, Baptist, whatever the case may be, there's that short list of organizations that the government has to trust, okay, because they're not in the business of building chaplains. They're in the business of building war fighters. And so I have not only as my boss as a military chaplain, the military and the government and the Department of Defense and the Secretary of the Navy, but uh, and, and Mr. Obama at the top of that chain, I also have as my boss as a chaplain what's called my religious endorser, who in our case, my case, happens to be the Southern Baptist Convention, specifically the North American Mission Board. So the North American Mission Board is on that list, and the North American Mission Board has to endorse chaplains to go out and be chaplains in the realm that is Southern Baptist. And so the government says, okay, we need a Southern Baptist chaplain. We need someone of that faith group to come in and be a naval officer as well. They say to the North American Mission Board, who do you have? And so technically, I'm a missionary of the North American Mission Board as well, being sent to the military as a missionary and chaplain, all right? So I say all that to say this. The government, the Department of Defense, then says it's in policy. It's their rules, the Department of Defense's rule, that they say I can only do what my endorser says I can do. Now, that's kind of convenient because what my endorser says I can do happens to line up with what my beliefs are. The Department of Defense does not say he has to do what we tell him he has to do. The Department of Defense says you have to do what your endorser says you have to do. And if your endorser pulls, pulls the rug out from under you, guess what? You're gone. Make sense? So when the North American Mission Board starts saying don't pray in Jesus' name, then you can worry, right? And then I've got to find another endorser, and then we have a problem, all right? Uh, are there some pastor situations where you are asked to pray in a way that will be more conducive to a mixed crowd? Yes. There are. As a military chaplain, you're involved in not just religious services of your own faith. That would be my primary duty, that I would carry out services like this to people who would come who are of like faith group. And I serve them. I facilitate for them. I care for them. And I do that. In that, in that session, we can do whatever fits uh, my religious organization. And they say, go for it. That's what you're here for. But if they ask me to pray at a retirement ceremony, if they ask me to pray at a memorial situation, anything that's part of the command, and it's not a religious service for those who volunteer to come, but any, anything that is uh, organized by the command and it's mandatory that sailors and Marines have to show up, then guess what? That's not a religious service. That's a function of the command. And in those instances, they would say, hey, be sensitive to the fact that you're not in your own religious organization here, but you have a mixed crowd. So then the chaplain has to decide, well, do I want to say this prayer in this ceremony? And you simply have to make that decision. You can say no. And they say, okay, we'll find another chaplain. Thank you very much. Not permanently, mind you, but they'll find another chaplain for that ceremony. That makes sense? Does that sound fair? Yeah, so part of the benefit of, of, of 
being able to be a chaplain in the military is, is what we like to say is we get to be in a room that we wouldn't get to be in otherwise. And we get to be around professionals that we wouldn't get to be around otherwise. Okay? So uh, hopefully that puts you a little bit at ease that the pastor's not out there just compromising and praying to whoever uh, in his chaplaincy role. All right, so enough of that. Let me, let me tell you what I, what's been on my heart brewing for a little while in my mind bouncing around is this idea that uh, over the last two years, I've come to appreciate many things about our military. Let me just give you, I made a short list here, some things that I've come to appreciate uh, in my time in the military. And I'm just going to use words, and some of these words are, are words that we actually use in the military. And for those of you who are priors, you'll recognize some of these words because they're, some of them, they're, they're our very value statements, okay? Uh, so the first would be honor. I've come to greatly appreciate the way the military puts at the very, very top of its list, this value, right, this integrity trait or this character trait of what we call honor. Now, I'm not going to unpack it here for you, but many of you have heard this word honor. But if I asked you to define honor, I, I bet you would be hard pressed to give really a good or concise definition of what honor means. But suffice it to say for this morning that one of the things I've really appreciated about the military is they do honor well. And honor is highly valued in the military. And that, I think, is a very good thing and a positive thing. In Scripture, we're, ter- we're told to honor over and over. Um, honor has sort of uh, two sides of the same coin. We honor certain things, and they should be rightly honored. And then there is this expectation that we will live our life in an honorable way. And the military does, does a good job of putting a premium on both of those aspects of honor. There are certain things that ought to be honored, and they do that. And there's an expectation that, that a sailor or a marine or a soldier has to live with honor, and they define that very clearly of what honor is. I'll share a little bit of that later. Another word, courage. This is an easy one. We all know that the military does courage well, right? Anyone who would put their life on the line knows what it means to be courageous. Commitment is a big one. Commitment is a word that, uh, that comes with different ideas. When you think of commitment, maybe you think of it in sporting terms, and you were committed to your team in high school. Maybe you're a committed fan now. Maybe you're committed to this organization or that organization. Uh, the idea of being committed comes at different levels, is my point. And some of your ideas of what commitment is might be here. What I want you to understand, at least for the, this message, is that the military has a very, very high expectation in what they believe commitment is. And they tell you what commitment is, and there is nothing less accepted. More on that in a minute. Training. Military does training very well. You businessmen, if you were to look at the military model of how they train someone from the very bottom to the very top, you would have to say that, that in a very crude way sometimes, the military still does training very well. They have a very high success rate from beginning to end in training. They do it well. Respect. Respect is done very well. In the military, you know, when you walk into a room, one of the things that uh, my initial training uh, brings, and, and everyone's initial training in the military brings, it's this idea of how to show respect, and it is non-negotiable. So when someone of of higher rank than me walks by, just to give you an example, I better know what time it is in the day, because I I am required to give someone of higher rank a greeting of the day, and if it's morning, it's good morning, sir, or good morning, ma'am. If it's afternoon, 
which means not that it's after noon. It just means that it's after lunchtime because lunchtime can be 10.30 or 11 in some places. And so if you've ate lunch, that's the easiest way to know it, then you, you must give an afternoon sermon. Uh, for you priors, what happens if you do not give a greeting of the day? Do you just keep walking? Most of the time, not. If you're lucky, you do keep walking. But what happens later is, is that the person you pass by and you didn't give the greeting of the day, they go find the person in charge of you, and they tell that person, hey, one of your guys, he's a, quote, dirtbag. He didn't give me a greeting of the day. Fix him. And then it comes around a day or so later, or maybe just an hour later, and then you find yourself talking to your superior and say, hey, you remember that colonel you passed? Yeah, I, certain, I, I seem to remember that. How come you didn't give him a salute? How come you didn't give him a greeting of the day? You've got to fix that. Respect, here's the point, respect is a, of a premium in the military. It is, it's non-negotiable. Military does respect well. Military does tradition well. Tradition, that's a, that's a hard word in the church. It comes with, uh, with some assumptions, connotations maybe. But the military does tradition very well. Um, we, last week, we went down to Mayport, Jacksonville, and they had a stay on the USS Vicksburg. And before we got onto the ship, uh, they gave us a rundown of all the things that are tradition with that ship in particular, and all the things that are tradition when boarding any ship. And so when you walk up the plank to the ship, you have to stop, turn at a 45-degree angle, face the rear of the ship, and salute the ensign. Anybody know what an ensign is? It's the flag. They call it an ensign in the military. I don't, I don't exactly know what ensign means. but uh, You salute the flag. You do that when you get on. You do it when you get off. There's someone waiting at the top for you, and they've got a machine gun. And you better stop, show them your idea, and ask for permission to come aboard. And when you leave, you don't just get to walk off. Even as an officer, you have to tell them, uh, listen, I have permission to go ashore. And they, they put their machine gun down and they let you go ashore. They're just some traditions. And some of them make sense. And some of them, you don't really know why they make sense. You just, you just believe that they do make sense. Because someone has told you they make sense. But the military does tradition well. Mis military does professionalism well. There is an instruction in writing somewhere in a binder this big on any and everything that you might have a question about in the military. If you want to write a memo, if the memo is directed to this kind of person, there is an instruction for that. If you want to write a memo to this kind of person, there's an instruction for that. Do you use capital letters? Do you use small letters? Do you use periods? Do you use spaces? No spaces? Everything down to the last jot and tittle, we might say in Hebrew, is accounted for. It is therefore a very professional organization. Nothing is left to chance. You don't, just, you don't just write a note on a sticky and, and hand it to someone else and give it to someone else. Everything is done on a very professional level, and they spell it out exactly how it's supposed to be done. Therefore, the expectations are very clear in the military. I think they do this well in the military. Uh, there's, no, there's no misunderstanding what the expectations are because they tell you as soon as you get there. The military forces maturity very well. They don't let you stay a child very long. They force the idea, uh, qualities like taking the initiative. If you see something that's messed up, you, you don't just pass it by and expect someone else is going to deal with it. To be in the military means that you begin to take initiative. Without someone telling you to do something, you do it. If it needs to be done, you, you, you fix it. You, you get it done. 
Um, one of the sayings in the military is that no matter what's going on, you need to adapt and overcome. So something's not working, figure it out, adapt and overcome. When we got to uh, Paris Island this last week, we were staying in, uh, we were staying in these quarters that um, uh, there was nothing really in there. We had to bring our own sheets and things in that they gave to us. It was basically an abandoned building. And uh, we got in there, and the people in charge of us left, and one of our guys went to the restroom, and he, he comes out and says, hey, man, there's no toilet paper in here. Somebody run out and grab our guy in charge, our gunnery sergeant, before they leave and tell him we have no toilet paper. And uh, so they asked the gunnery sergeant, hey, wh- where's the toilet paper? He said, adapt and overcome. And he left. And I looked around this room, and there's 19 of us, grown men, and I'm like, I guess we could figure out where to get some toilet paper, right? It was a group of guys who were on their way to the PX, on the way to the store on base. Why didn't we think about, hey, we can get our own toilet paper? You've got to adapt and overcome. Here's the point. The military does some things well, and the reason, I'm, the reason I'm giving you a sample of some of these things, and I could give you more, and the guys who are priors, the ladies who are priors could give you many more. The reason I'm giving you these is just to set the stage for the, the thought that I've had in my mind is that the military does a whole lot of things well, despite some of their shortcomings. They do a whole lot well. And you know what? In a lot of ways, I think they do it better than we do. We meaning the church. And now, don't hear anything I'm going to say from this point on just about Cornerstone Church. So when I say what the church can learn from the military, I'm talking about the church universal, but I'm also talking about us here at Cornerstone. And so if God convicts you that you need to individually apply these things, then, then do that. If God convicts us that as a church we're not doing very well at these things, then we need to do that. But here's the premise. Let me tip my hand. The military is doing a whole lot better than we are on a whole lot of stuff. And to use a military term, we need to fix it. And for two years now, I've been, I've been going one week in a month and going to these trainings and I, and I keep just squinting my eyes, and I, and I keep seeing things happen, and I'm thinking, you know what, that's, that's good. Why don't we do that? Why aren't we better than that? I think there's some things that we, we have to fix. How, how are we doing on honor in the church? Do we honor things that need to be honored? And do we live an honorable life individually, corporately? How are we doing on courage? Are we very courageous in our Christianity? Or are we cowardly? How about commitment? What's what's your idea of what the Christian's level of commitment should be? I think, on average, it pales in comparison to the kind of commitment we see in our military. How about training? Do we do training as well as they do in the military? I don't think we do. Respect, tradition. Tradition in the modern church uh, has become something of a bad word. <laughs> we don't like to use tradition. Traditions are what what your grandmother's church used to do. We've grown up out of those things. You know what? Not all traditions are bad or wrong. And the purpose of traditions, guess what, is not just about the thing, but it's about what the tradition reminds us of. We don't do traditions very well. How about professionalism? I, um, 
I started to think to myself that the, the training that I've been in, we have, although we are Navy chaplains, uh, you know that we serve uh, the Marines as well. We have in charge of all of our physical and daily activities. So the guy that wakes us up at four in the morning and takes us outside and beats us uh, on the PT field, he's a gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps. He was um, uh, uh, previously, he was a drill sergeant, um, drill instructor at uh, Paris Island. So he was the guy who got all the Marines going in the beginning. He did like seven cycles there, so anywhere from a, from a fifth uh, hat drill instructor to a senior drill instructor. And so this guy's well seasoned at breaking you down on the PT field. And, I, you know, over, over the last week or so, as I'm thinking about teaching this message, I, I just started to think to myself, you know, what if, what if gunnery sergeants showed up in the church? It just so happens that this gunnery sergeant is a believer. And it would be very easy for me to imagine him showing up, not only in this church, but what if, he, what if he showed up in the church? What if my colonel from my unit here in Atlanta, what if he showed up in the church? Not just as, not just as a visitor, but what if the military, what if any one of these people, I imagine, showed up in our institution, in our organization, with the purpose of doing some sort of evaluation? And it made me <laughs> sick to my stomach at what their evaluation of us as an institution, as an organization, might be coming from, from their idea of how you professionally run an organization or an institution. I, I, I got sick to my stomach. I, I didn't want Gunnery Sergeant to show up. Because I don't, I don't think we're doing these things very well. How are we doing it? Clear expectations. Um, let me say at this point that uh, this sermon is not is not me uh, preaching to you. This sermon has been the Holy Spirit preaching to me over several months now, and I'm sharing it with you. You tracking with me? <laughs> All right. So this is not about hey troops out there. You guys need to you guys need to fix it and and make it better. You need to do better. It's about it's about right here. It's about our leadership. How are we doing? Does it include you? It does include you. It very much includes you. But please know that this has been a sermon that, I, that I've already been in the woodshed for several months with the Holy Spirit over. Okay? All right. Is it just me? Is this just my thinking? Let me uh, put up that second slide there. Let me show you. Uh, for two and a half days, a week ago, two weeks ago now, we sat through ethics in the military, another thing that I think the military is doing very well. You'll see sometimes in the news that this commander has been relieved of his command because he's had an affair or done this or stole money or whatever. You find those things. But I want to tell you that the military as a whole, from what I've seen, uh, puts a lot of effort into teaching ethics and values. Uh, when I visited Paris Island, I don't think this was something that our prior Marines went through. But now in every day of training, every day of the 92 days of training, there is a value session that lasts for 45 minutes with the senior drill instructor. They sit down and they talk values, right? You guys probably wished you'd had 45 minutes off like that. But they talk to them about character traits and integrity and honor and courage and commitment. They, every day they talk about these things. So I've been very impressed. We sat as chaplains two and a half days discussing ethics, and uh, this is one of the slides. It's a, it's a Gallup poll from 2013, so this is the most recent one, but Gallup does them every year, and it ranks um, what the most respected or the most, most uh, ethically, uh, who has the greatest ethical integrity out of all the professions. 
And so Gallup would give everyone a list, and then we would rank them. Now, everyone in the green gets ranked as what the community thought or what our country thought are very high uh, organizations or professions when it comes to their ethics uh, and integrity. And so you, you can't see this very clearly, but here's what I want to show you because it stuck out to me in our class, is that at the top of the list, maybe not too surprising, but at the very top, you have nurses and then pharmacists and then grade school teachers, right? And so I think we would all agree that if we were ranking, you know, the trustworthiness, the, the just the respect value for these different professions, that makes, that makes good sense. Uh, after grade school teachers, medical doctors, uh, you know, I hope they're doing it right. I hope they're people of integrity because if not, then we got to be concerned, right? Right after that is military and the military officers, right? And so uh, here's military officers. I need one of those little light things. Behind military officers are police officers, okay? So military officers rank just above police officers. And then down below police officers finally comes the clergy, or you could say the church. And so we were talking about ethics in the military profession, so the military officers. Uh, the point uh, in our ethics class was that we consistently are ranking pretty high as military officers in this Gallup survey. But me, as a chaplain and as a pastor, I, I, ha I couldn't help but notice that we, the clergy, and the church that we lead are a little further down the list. Now, put up the, second, uh, the next slide there. So here's another chart, and this is just the clergy's honesty and ethical standards as has been ranked from all the way back 1977 by the Gallup poll to 2013. And so the community at large, our country, all the way back to 1977, has ranked very high the clergy, all right? So on the one hand, you could say the clergy and the church has always been in the category of very high. That's good. But I want you to see the downward trend. We've gone from a high score of 67 down to this year a 47. And this is the all-time low since the poll has been taken. Consistently, there have been those who rank us the yellow line in a very low or low category. And look at that number. It has gone from a four, and it's at an all-time high this year at 11. So there are more people lowering us, even if they put us high in the ethics category. And there are more people raising us in the very low category. So when I saw this, it just reinforced a little bit of what I've been thinking here. You know what? Um, the military is doing a, doing a better job at this than we are. And not only that, but our society is saying so. This community is saying so. That they respect and they believe that the ethical standards and the level of professionalism is higher in our military than it is in our churches. They're doing some things better than us. How do we do better? How do we do better? This, this isn't a sermon. Um, and those of you who've been around a while, you know, I've got several different types of uh, sermon styles. Sometimes I teach, sometimes I preach, sometimes I share. Today, I, I don't know what you call it. I'm just, I'm just talking to you. Uh, I'm just telling you what the Lord has been beating me up over. How do, how do we do better? Um, I'm not, I'm not going to give you a list of the answers right here. Suffice it to say, I think we need to do better. Um, 
in a very real way, you have to get involved in that. And so right here at Cornerstone, for the Cornerstone Church family, let's just be real. And I'm going to ask you to participate. I'm going to ask that if you call Cornerstone Church home, I'm going to ask that you write me a letter. Can you handwrite it or you can email me? Your response to this allegation that the military is doing it better than we are in a whole lot of areas. What is your general response to that? But then, more than that, I want, I want you to tell me how you think we can fix some of these things. And maybe you, you give me your top three areas that you think the church needs to be better at. And so I'm asking. I'm asking you to, to give me your feedback. Give your leaders, because I'm going to share these with the elders. If you don't want to write your name on it, that's fine. And maybe you include a section of not just how can our church do better, but here's how, Pastor, here's how I think I need to do better. Here's where the military is doing it a whole lot better than I am. Now, if, uh, if you're a thinking believer, here's where I, I, I hope you are at this point. Or at some point while I've been talking, I, I would hope that the thought has crossed your mind. Well, Pastor, do we really want to do it the way the military does? In the church? And the answer to that is no. It's no. Um, I, I'm not going to start. I'm not going to start being your gunnery sergeant. Although every now and then I would love to come to your house and uh, put on like a, uh, you know, a drill instructor hat. And uh, when you do not. Uh, when you do not measure up to the level of what I expected you to have measured up, I'd love, every now and then, just, you know, uh, pastors would love to come in and play drill instructor and get in your face and just let you have it. Uh, that's, is that the answer? That's not the answer. And that's not what I'm suggesting. Um, can we fix this by doing some of the things that the military does. I mean, are we going to all start standing to attention? Are we all going to start saluting? Are we going to start doing some of the things that you would ex- that you would expect to see in the military? No. No, we're not. So how how do we fix it? How do we get better? How do we climb the list of statistics? How do we how do we how do we become more respected and more relevant out there? in the eyes of our community? How do we change this trend of us just slipping off the charts? Because here's, here's in a real way what those, what those statistics are saying. Uh, my gunnery sergeant, the guy I've been telling you about, we were eating, uh, we were eating lunch in the military chow hall uh, one day last week, and uh, groups of chaplains just sitting at different tables, and he got, uh, as one of our leaders, he got put at a table with some of the chaplains who were leading us that day at, uh, at Naval Air Station, Mayport. And so he was sitting with some high-ranking chaplains, eating lunch, and uh, I could tell, uh, me and the guys that I was sitting with, I could tell he was miserable, right? Because he was sitting with some captains and some high-ranking chaplains, and they were talking religion and all this stuff, probably, and being all proper, and he's just dying over there. At one point, he took his tray, and he finally got away from me, and he came over to our table, and he knelt down next to our table, and uh, I wish I could do his voice because his voice is wrecked from yelling at, uh, at recruits for a few years. Uh, he says, gentlemen, um, I don't want to be negative. I don't mean to talk about anybody. But that chaplain sitting over there at my table, he's going to be giving you guys a few briefs later on. And I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. He's a slob. He's nasty. 
And I don't believe anything he's saying. So I'm just warning you, whatever he says, you're grown, take it with a grain of salt. And he got up and he left. He had been sitting with this guy eating lunch for five minutes and made an evaluation, a judgment, if you will, of whether or not this guy needed to be listened to as a senior chaplain. And then he came over to us, junior chaplains, and he says, I'm warning you, I wouldn't send any of my Marines to this guy. Just from eating lunch at the same table. And it struck me, you know what? I think that's kind of a similar thing. You know, Marines can figure out in five minutes or less whether you're the kind of chaplain that they're going to throw their guts to. And they'll just tell you. And they'll tell other Marines, don't go to that guy. You can't trust him. He's fat and out of shape. Don't go to that guy. That's, that's, the, that's just the honest truth. He doesn't respect himself. Don't go to that guy. And I wondered how much the community looks at us, the church. And after just a few minutes, based on what they see, our level of professionalism, our level of commitment, our level of, you, you pick it off the list. And how, how nasty we are in measuring up to some of those things. And they say, you know what, don't go over there. I wouldn't go over there. I wouldn't trust them. There's nothing about... There's nothing about me looking at them or their life that tells me that that's the kind of person I want to be. Let me, give you, let me give you a passage that's been on my mind. It's a passage that I alluded to earlier. 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 1, 3, I'm sorry. Can you tell I've been with Uncle Sam for a few days? I'm a little grouchy today. 2 Peter 1, 3. Just listen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. I'm reading 1 John, 1 Peter. Sorry. That's a good verse too. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory. And what's the word? What's the word? Virtue. My translation says excellence. Are we very excellent in the church? That's the question. So he's called us according to his glory and his excellence. For by these, by these what? His glory and his excellence. He has granted to us or gifted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that there's a purpose. There's a purpose. His glory and His excellence, His choosing us, it has a purpose. So that by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. We start looking more like our Father. We start looking more glorious and excellent. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust, now for this very reason also, here's His instruction, apply all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And he's going to tell us some things here that, that should accompany our faith, our salvation. And they're going to build one upon the other. Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. 
In your self-control, add perseverance, and in your perseverance, add godliness. To your godliness, brotherly kindness, and to your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless or unfruitful. I wonder how many of us, most of the time, appear to be useless and unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, having forgotten purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about your calling, his calling, in choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. I'll always be ready to remind you of these things. Even though you already know them, have been established in truth, which is present in you, he says, I consider it right, and as long as I'm on this earth, it'll be a way to stir up a reminder in you, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. I'm about to be gone. As also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I also must be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to recall these things. There is an expectation that comes with being a Christian. Are we going to do it like the military does it? Are they really Are they really our goal? Are they really our model? Are they really our standard? In a sense, maybe. Maybe they could just be our motivation for the time being. What is our goal? What is our standard? What is our motivation? Listen to me now. In the military, you do it because you were told. In the military, you submit to character and virtues like honor, courage, and commitment, at least at the very first, because you must. Over the time, I believe they become more valuable to the heart of the individual member. But generally speaking, in the military, you do it because it's the rule. In the church, in Christ, we no longer live by rules and laws, do we? But pastor, don't we live by grace in the church? And I don't really see how that fits with the military. You're right. In the military, it's not by grace. It's by instruction. Now listen. Shouldn't we who live by grace have a higher standard than those who live by law? Every Sunday when you walk in here, you walk under a banner that we've put over the outside of this door. Anybody want to know what verse is on that banner? Anybody know what it says? The banner over you is love. Song of Solomon 2.4. We put it up for a sermon I did a number of years ago, and I told him, I said, let's leave it. We walk under Song of Solomon 2.4, a banner of love. The Song of Solomon, when it said that your his banner over us, God's banner over us, is love. What that means is, is in the military, early versions of military, when they would march, they would march at the very front a banner that would indicate whose they were and what authority they were coming to womp and a stomp you under. 
okay? And so whatever it had on there, it would have a symbol or it would have a name or it would have something that would indicate what king they were marching under, whose authority they come in, whose authority they have submitted to in their military service. In the Song of Solomon 2.4, the, the text indicates that the bride of the beloved marches under a banner that doesn't have a lion or an eagle. It doesn't have some conquering symbol on it. It simply says love. And what that means to say to the Christian is this, is that we, we have an authority over us. We do. If you need proof, go back and read Romans 3, 4, and 5. We are no longer slaves to sin and unrighteousness, but we are still slaves. We still have a master. But our master is now grace. We march under the banner of love. And so you're not, you're not simply Christians doing your duty. But guess what? You have a higher calling. The cause we have as Christians, is it, is it greater than the cause that our troops fight for? Is it? Is it greater than the cause that we have men and women on the front line giving their life for? Is it greater of a cause that we have men and women who will leave their family and go on deployments for 10 to 15 months and not see their family? Is their cause greater than ours? I was talking to another chaplain about this message and I, and I hadn't been sure about preaching it and part of it is still just, uh, you know, working itself out in my own heart and, and, and I kind of feel like maybe I wasn't even ready to preach it. And so I was talking it over with another chaplain and I was trying to explain to him this idea that, that what I want to con- or what I want to what I want to communicate to you guys is that um, we we do fall short of the standard of even what I'm seeing in the military. We've got to fix that. And isn't it isn't it isn't it strange that we who have this higher calling than our military we don't live up to it? And he said, you know, and these are the words that came out of his mouth. He says, in the military we can use extreme training tactics, teaching. Uh, and have high levels of expectation, but it's because in the military we're dealing with life and death issues. And he stopped right there, <laughs> and he turned his head to the side as a chaplain now. And we just kind of smiled, because what we both recognized in that statement was, yeah, I kind of thought in the church we were dealing with life and death issues. <laughs> I said to him, doesn't always seem like it, does it? And according to the Gallup polls, it doesn't translate to the world who watches us. Apparently, they don't think we're dealing with life and death issues either. Let me read you one more passage and we'll be done. Revelation 3, just listen. To the church at Laodicea, the Amen, the faithful, true witness, the beginning of creation of God says this, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that there are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. 
I advise you to buy gold from me, gold refined by fire so that you may be truly rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous. Be zealous. Be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. And I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Heavenly Father, we have the greatest cause of all. We have the greatest cause of all, but our institution doesn't always doesn't always communicate that. Our lives individually, Lord, all too often fail to communicate the seriousness of that to which we've been called. The weight of grace is not obvious by our lives. Our honor, our courage, our commitment, our training, respect, our traditions, our professionalism, our expectations, our honor, our our taking initiative, our adapting, overcoming, uh, none of these things, Father, measure up to to just other institutions that, that are around us, much less to the high calling of that which you've called us. My prayer is simple, Lord. Save us from mediocrity in our faith. Lord, we didn't, we didn't even talk about the causes of this. But Holy Spirit, maybe you can maybe you can pull the string on some of the causes within each heart. Lord, you, you've, you've begun to pull that string in my own heart and I find that uh, the way we lead is not sufficient. Our expectations are not clear. The models of doing church that we sometimes try and fit into and follow, Lord, they're insufficient very often. We are, Lord, dealing in matters of life and death. Forgive us for not taking your work more seriously. Covered by grace, we will obey. Marching under the banner of your love, we will stand tall. Thank you for listening today. 
We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.